If you love me, and you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you, and he will be with you. This is the word of the Lord. Amen. We'll dismiss our school-aged kids to the back. They're going with uh, Mr. Brad back there. And while they're doing that, let me invite you, if you brought a Bible with you, to open it to John chapter 14. And we're going to dive in today to part two of who is the Holy Spirit. We've been in the Gospel of John for several months. And uh, we took a little break last week for our Fall Vision Day. But the week before that, we were in John 16 on the Holy Spirit. And John takes, um, John takes about a third of his gospel to cover this last night of Jesus' uh, life with the disciples. Starts way back in uh, really in a chapter 12, and he's with them, and you've got the whole uh, the Last Supper and the washing of the feet. And, um, and, then John, and then John records Jesus literally just pouring out his heart to them. And these last few things that he's trying to, um, trying to tell them. And you can tell they're weary, they're beat up, they're, they're burdened. Because Jesus says, this whole thing we've been doing for three years is, is about to be over. And, and I'm going to go. You're not going to see me anymore. But I'm sending the helper. The passage that RJ just read, chapter 14 Verse 16, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. The Spirit of truth. And you know him, Jesus says to them, for he dwells with you and will be in you. Let me pray. You'd pray with me, and as I pray aloud, if you would pray silently, and would you just ask this Holy Spirit, this helper, this comforter, this truth giver, that he would speak to you this morning? Holy Spirit, help us to know the truth. Help us to see Jesus. And Jesus, as we see you, I pray that we would worship you and follow you. As you show us the Father, in Jesus' name we pray, amen. There's about ten different passages uh, in the book of John, in these, in these three chapters, in John 14, and John 15, and John 16, that really kind of clue us in to what is the role of the Holy Spirit. Now, in history class, we learn about uh, historical greats of the past, we learn about interesting characters, we learn about Julius Caesar, or... Uh, Cyrus the Great, or Attila the Hun, or even George Washington, and we learn these guys, about these guys, knowing that we will never be in relationship or have ever seen them. They have long been gone, and we just have to trust it in historical narrative that they were here. But that would be a mistake when we approach the Bible, because we're just not learning about a God who revealed himself in the past, as he did multiple times through the Old Testament, 
more than 20 different ways that God spoke to people as we walk through the Old Testament. Some of those are just incredible and miraculous. He sent angels. He talked through a donkey one time. I mean, when God needed to get the message out, he did it. Used a witch one time, the witch of Endor. Go read that story. That's crazy. This is, this is the Old Testament, how God would speak. And then in this passage, Jesus is telling his disciples, hey, I'm going to go. But future followers of me won't just read about me as historical narrative. They will be able to know me. And as a matter of fact, this is what he tells them. The helper is going to come. The helper be with you forever. Another helper, meaning that Jesus was the first helper. Another helper is going to come. This is that word we talked about a couple weeks ago, this idea of paraclete, this, this truth giver and this counselor together. Notice it's capitalized because it's speaking of this actual deity, the third person of the Trinity, Holy Spirit. And Holy Spirit be with us forever. He's the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it doesn't see him or know him. But then Jesus kind of, this is really what I'm going to focus on today, but you know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. Jesus is saying this as in contrast to the world. In contrast to the world, they they don't know him. They can't receive him because it says that they neither see him nor know him, but you do know him. In contrast to the world, the disciples should know and be familiar with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit has been at work in the life of Jesus since they've been following him. Some of them have seen this really up close and personal on the Mount of Transfiguration as we see uh, the supernatural work at the baptism of Jesus as the Holy Spirit comes down even as a dove. Um, it, we see the presence of the full Trinity there in the baptism as the, God the Father says, this is my son and my love. And the Holy Spirit comes down as a dove as Jesus is even baptized. So he's saying, you know him. You've seen, you've seen three years, you've seen the Holy Spirit. You know him. This is not an unfamiliar idea or an unfamiliar even person for he dwells with you in contrast to the world the disciple of Jesus knows the Holy Spirit in contrast to the world the disciple of Jesus should have the Holy Spirit with them just as Jesus was literally with them in this upper room the Holy Spirit would be with them For the rest of their lives, as it says, he will be with you forever in verse 16. And then finally, in contrast to the world, the disciples of Jesus should have the Holy Spirit in them. Now, this was not current yet because Jesus had not gone away and the Holy Spirit come to actually indwell them. On the Mount of Ascension, he tells them to go back to Jerusalem and get in that room and you begin praying and the Holy Spirit's going to come. Well, how long do we pray, Jesus? You just pray till the Spirit comes. And they get there in a day or two or three or four past and the Holy Spirit comes and then we have Pentecost, what happens. And then from there forward, every person that believes in the name of Jesus is indwelt with the Holy Spirit the Holy Spirit in them. And my hope today is to explain as much as I can in one sermon how the Holy Spirit speaks to us. God still speaks through the work of the Holy Spirit. Now there's a lot of bad information about there, myths about the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works. Some people, just to go through a couple of these myths, some people have what I call the uh, random coincidence Holy Spirit. 
They always equate the voice of the Spirit with some strange sets of phenomena. Have you ever, you ever met anybody like this? Like, you won't believe this. You know, I was praying whether or not to ask Ashley um, out on a date. And so I wrote her name down, and I realized that uh, her name has an L and an E in it, and my name has an L and an E in it. But more than that, my eyes are blue, but her eyes are green. And my favorite basketball team is the Celtics. And my favorite player on the Celtics is Larry Bird. And, and yeah, exactly. And, uh, you know, my dad's also named Larry. You know, this is getting personal. And her dad's middle name is Larry. And so the Holy Spirit must be in it, man. And she's smoking hot. So we'll just add that to the end, right? This is this random coincidence Holy Spirit where we try to like, you know, look at some kind of uh, weird set of circumstances that might lead us to this. Or, or we have uh, Holy, Spirit, Holy Spirit as the magic eight ball. You remember the magic eight ball? Now, now this, is, this, is a, this is amazing. They actually have uh, the new spiritual version of the Magic 8-Ball. This is actually a device that you could buy. I tried to buy it, but it was too expensive on eBay. But I did, I did get a picture of it. Do you have that picture? This is uh, Answer Me Jesus, uh, trademarked Answer Me Jesus. And um, it's an actual pink Jesus that uh, has, uh, I'll just read it straight from the site, the advertisement. Um, as a good Christian, they write, you probably try to avoid with playing with dark forces of the universe. Ouija boards, no thanks. Tarot cards, not my thing. Magic 8-Ball, no, it wouldn't fit. But what do I do when it comes to my divine future? What crutch do I have to turn to when I can't make decisions for myself? Jesus is the answer, my friends. Jesus, uh, answer me Jesus. Works much like a Magic 8-Ball, right? It gives uh, 21 <clears throat> faith-filled responses reclaimed from the pagan Dungeons and Dragons, no doubt, but this is, you know, now glorified um, to give you answers. I'm getting my randomly generated life direction straight from our Lord and Savior, Jesus H. Christ. H stands for handheld. And he shall set me on a path to truth and light forever and ever. Amen. So you can actually buy this thing and you could say, Jesus, uh, should I ask Ashley out on a date and turn it over? I don't know if you can see the actual results, but one of them is, let me ask my dad. I thought that was kind of. Sometimes we, 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 this is how we think God speaks to us, though. Or we got the mysterious uh, peace in your heart holy, equals the Holy Spirit philosophy. Wherever decision is right, you have this abiding peace. I once heard uh, even one of my mentors tell me that a restlessness in your spirit before any decision was a sign that God wasn't in it. And I just didn't believe that for a second because every great decision, even the ones that God clearly called me to do, I had an uneasiness in my spirit. Nothing in Scripture tells us tranquility in your heart is proof that God, in fact, wants you to do something. In Scripture, what I do actually see is an enemy whose goal is to give us peace about really terrible things that we would do with our life. When Satan tempted Eve, do you not think that she had peace in her heart about grabbing that apple? Because that, that was her peace that she wanted. And finally, the fourth terrible way to hear from God is the Bible lottery approach. You ever heard this? Like, God, I don't know whether I should go to class today I'm going to flip open, and what do you have to say to me from right here? And we point to it. My dad used to tell a story about how this was not only unbiblical but really dangerous, how he heard of a guy who did that and flipped open to Matthew 27, 5, where it reads, And Judas went away and hanged himself. 
not a good thing to do. So how does God speak to us? In J.D. Greer's book, Jesus Continued, which um, was a, is a great book and very practical. Um, Lackaby also has a book uh, that talks about some of the similar things, how to hear the voice of God. John MacArthur's got a book. Swindoll's got a book. And they basically all say the same things. This is the five ways that Scripture tells us we hear from God through the Spirit within us. The five scriptural ways that we experience the leadership of the Holy Spirit through the Word of God, through our giftings, through the church, in our spirit, and through our circumstances. We're going to go through each five of those um, briefly, and I would encourage you, probably the most comprehensive on the issue was, uh, was Hearing God's Voice by Blackaby, but it is a hard read. Uh, J.D. Greer's is, is, is much easier. But first, you know, through the Word of God. All five of these, except for the first, I would implore you to hold lightly because there is a certain mystery to the Spirit's leadership in our life. Even when you consider the book of Acts, of the 36 times that the Holy Spirit speaks, there's never a standard way given. There's no spiritual metric per se that he speaks this way every time and there's an equation. And for a church in the West, we love the equation. Tell us how to do it, how to figure out for X, how do we know that God's will is. And the Holy Spirit just doesn't work that way. Even in my own life, just a few months ago, and this has happened on four or five different occasions, I was praying. I mean, I was praying and fasting. Lord, give me the answer. Give me the answer. What do we do? What do we do? And I heard the, heard the Lord very clearly say in my spirit, Luke, you want the way more than you want me. And I want you to want me. I want you to walk with me. Sometimes the Spirit speaks in a dramatic, supernatural way, like a dream or vision or through a prophetic word from someone in the church. Sometimes the apostles deduce the voice of the Spirit in the book of Acts simply by how he directs a certain set of circumstances. But most of the time when we look at the book of Acts, which is I love because the book of Acts starts with, the, okay, the timeline, Jesus is here in John 14, 15, 16. He's going to be beaten. He's going to be crucified, dead, buried. He's going to come back. He's going to spend uh, Easter tide. He's going to spend 40 days with the disciples making the appearances to Peter, making the appearances multiple times to the disciples. At one time, Paul says 500 people in a crowd that Jesus shows up. He's going to gather them all on the Mount of Ascension. He's going to float up to heaven, which would have been, I mean, just this, and, and, and this incredible thing with no cables. He's just floating up there. I love to, and I've mentioned before how the text even says in Acts, he's like, and, and, and they worshiped him, and then it's like, and some doubted. Some were like, man, what is this thing he's doing up there? So he's going to go there. And then the Acts, the book of Acts continues. He tells them to go and pray. And they go and pray. And the Holy Spirit comes. And we have, we have this, uh, this Pentecost thing. And then Peter gets up, which was a, a fumbling idiot just a few uh, weeks ago. And now he's indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And he's indwelt with the Holy Spirit. And he stands up and he gives this most compelling, incredible message. And more people came to follow the way, came to Christ on that day through the Holy Spirit-empowered Peter's message than the entire ministry of Jesus in the previous three years. This is the greater things that, that, that was promised. And you'll do greater things. Not greater as in more uh, supernatural or spectacular, but they're going to be more of you with the Holy Spirit being able to be the hands and feet of Jesus in the world. And then the book of Acts continues, which I love, the story about how the Spirit indwelt normal everyday believers to take the gospel to the 
edges of the world. By the time we get to the end of Acts, the gospel has traveled some 3,300 miles, which is incredible. And Paul is going to places to plant churches. Paul, this super church planting missionary, and finding that there are already churches there. He finally gets to Rome in the story of Acts, and he's getting to Rome. Why? Because God has sent him to Rome, and he's got to go to Rome to plant a church, and he's going to get there even if he's going in chains, and so he's finally going to get there, and it says the brothers in Rome greeted him. So not only were there converts there, they're the bro- they already planted the church. It's incredible. This is the book of Acts. It shows us how the Spirit works in our lives. So a lot of what we're building here comes from the book of Acts. Most of the time in the book of Acts, it doesn't tell us how the Spirit spoke. In Acts 16, it just tells us the Spirit, King James' word, forbade Paul and Silas. How did he forbid them? It doesn't tell us. In Acts 29, Luke records that the Spirit told Philip to go bring the gospel to the Ethiopian. You remember that? The Ethiopian eunuch, which is such a cool to go engage with a stranger with the gospel. How did Philip know? How did the Holy Spirit tell him? It doesn't tell us. Maybe it's similar to the same way that we feel compelled to share the gospel with someone that we don't know. Jesus said that our experience with the Holy Spirit would be something like experiencing the wind. This is the mystery to it. Remember in John 3 when he's having this conversation with Nicodemus. The wind blows where it wishes and you hear it sound, but do you not know where it comes from or where it goes? Which means if you're looking for a formula, it's like trying to find the source of the wind. Like some big container somewhere that's got some fans that start the wind. We'll never find it. You're not going to get that. It's sort of mysterious. So the key to all five of these, except for the first, is to hold them lightly. Let's get to the first so we can get through this. First, my wife's and kids today. She said, make it fast. All right. We'll do our best. The mean looks I get from some of those childcare workers when we go over every time. It's sorry. First way that we hear the Spirit speak to us is through the Word of God, based upon what Scripture says of itself. Over 99% of God's will for your life is written, literally written down in the pages in front of you. It's written here. And so when people come to me and say, Pastor, I'm not hearing God, tell me about your time in the Word. First, I mean, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God may be equipped, uh, complete and equipped for every good work. I just love that. Complete and thoroughly equipped. Those are pretty incredible promises from the Word of God itself. Complete and thoroughly equipped. No matter where I go, no matter what you do, no matter what thing you encounter, no matter what difficulty that you come upon, no matter what tragedy besets your life, no matter, no matter, no matter, the Word of God equips us. The Word of God says here, thoroughly equips, completes us, that the man or woman of God may be complete, not lacking anything, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Also, every time we find the will of God, the phrase will of God in the Bible, it doesn't refer to maybe an action that we're supposed to do. It refers to the shaping of our moral character of who we should be. 
It's not about whether we should go to Taco Bell or Taco Bueno. We don't have those here, so Taco Bell's probably the answer. That would be under the circumstances one. But it refers to who God is making us into. Romans 12.1, Paul says that the will of God is for you to offer your life as a living sacrifice in response to the gospel. That's the will of God. 1 Thessalonians 4.3, Paul says God's will for you is that you would live a holy life. The Spirit of God's main work in us is to shape us into being the kind of people that God wants us to be. Because when we become that kind of people, the people that God wants us to be, we're going to do the things that God wants us to do. A lot of times people have questions about what God wants from you in a certain situation. And the answer is right here in the Bible. And I want to tell people, quit making it so hard. Whether I should date or not date that person. God's word says in 2 Corinthians 6.14, it says if you're a believer, you shouldn't date or marry an unbeliever. The amount of people that try to talk me out of that decision is, is, is unbelievable. God's word is very clear. Or about divorce. God's word says you shouldn't divorce your spouse unless there's a very clear set of criteria that are met. But, but God, I want to be happy. <clears throat> and God says you commit to my ways and I will be your source of joy. God speaks mainly from his word. If you've got, it's amazing to me how much God tells us. I just love the word of God. <clears throat> it just tells us. You've got a conflict with someone, it tells us what to do. You go to them. Well, they're being stubborn. Well, they bring another believer. Well, they're still not listening. Well, you need to go bring the pastor. That's, that's the way Matthew 18 says that we handle conflict. And on and on, the book of Ephesians, so much about how we deal with people and how we speak truth and <clears throat> how we do it gently. God speaks mainly from his word. For thousands of years, very few people had access to the word of God. And the ones, even if you had access, you had to be able to read. For thousands of years, people couldn't. So they gathered daily in the mornings, at midday, in the evening, so they could hear the word of God read in their language. Because they knew the word of God were the words of life and light. They knew that's how God speaks to us mostly. And this is the one... I say you hold the other ones lightly. Wrap both arms and bear hug this one. Put all your weight on this one that God speaks to us through the word of God, through his word, through the Holy Scripture. Next, he speaks to us in our giftings. The way you and I know what God wants from us is often by looking at the spiritual gift the Holy Spirit has brought in us. I go as far as to saying if you don't know your spiritual gift, it's hard to know what God has put you here to do. Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 12, this is a great verse, verse uh, 7, to each is given, to each, every believer, is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Three different places Paul mentions what these uh, spiritual gifts are in Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12, Ephesians 4. Not an exhaustive list. I think there's actually more than these. But they include things like hospitality and mercy and serving and generosity and exhortation and evangelism and leadership and vision and faith and prayer. There's also some sign gifts in there like healing and tongues and words of knowledge and wisdom and a few others. So how can you tell what your gifts are? Well, when I read them out, did you get a little tingly feeling on one of them? That's not the way. It's not the tingly feeling. Everybody was like, oh, man, he read them too fast. I didn't. No tingly feeling. I don't know which one I get. 
Some people like to give spiritual gifts tests, and I do think that those can be helpful. <clears throat> That's like the, you know, like the string finders or Myers-Briggs type thing, and it kind of asks you some questions of, do you just love putting money in the offering plate? Well, then you're, you have the gift of giving or, you know, something like that. And <laughs> You don't need a test for that one. Most people don't like putting money in the offering plate. Um, I'm a little cynical on some of these tests because I've seen them go wrongly uh, just taken by themselves. We, we had a friend at a church um, who was, uh, she was either principal or superintendent, and she was just incredible at it, like was winning the awards. She took one of these at a church that I was at, and it said that she had the gifts of, um, of, of hospitality and, and, and helps. And she says, well, you know, I don't really do that, but as a principal, hospitality helps. And so she quit her job. And took a job at the church as a church secretary. And she was terrible at it. She was a terrible secretary and a phenomenal principal. And I'm like, listen, no, no, no. So take the test. It's great. I'll send you some tests you can take. But these have to be taken in the confines of real community. And what people who know and love Jesus and love you kind of corroborate about what your gift is. Here's the way. It's the combination of these things. The spiritual gift is usually a combination. I think I have these on the screen something we're passionate about. Maybe I should say something in God's kingdom we're passionate about because some of you just are taking the test. You're like, well, fantasy football. This is going to be awesome, you know, uh, hunting, right? It's something in God's kingdom, <clears throat> excuse me, that we're passionate about and something we're good at, something that you're good at that you assume everyone else is good at and you find out that not everyone else is good at. Like that gift of the, you know, hospitality, a lot of people are really bad at that. I'm terrible at that. It takes, I, I can pull it off, maybe. I'll light a candle before you come over. But that's like the, or I'll cook some bacon. Those are the two things that can make my house smell really good. Um, something God's kingdom we're passionate about, something we're good at, and then thirdly, what other people affirm in us. As you serve God in the body, there's going to be some things that are like, man, you are really good at that. You might not know it or not, but you really have the gift of leadership. You were able to pull this team together and navigate uh, the pitfall. You're, just, you're really good at this gift. I figured out early on in my life what, what my spiritual gifts were, the gifts of exhortation and leadership and vision, and I built my ministry around it. Well, I thought I did until I planted a church, and I realized that it's not just about that. you got to do a lot of other stuff in a church plant other than just that. <clears throat> but that's kind of the thing. I'd go so far as to saying that if you don't know what your spiritual gifts are, it's going to be really hard to figure out what the Spirit is saying to you and where you should be investing your life, how you should be serving the body, how you should be extending the kingdom of God. The teenagers in here, let me make a real strong appeal. Before you leave and before you go off to college, dive in on this. What are your spiritual gifts? Because I think they're going to help direct even maybe your vocation. What's your spiritual gift? Do you know what yours is? It's one of the ways that the Spirit speaks to us is through our giftings and then through the church. I feel like I'm doing a disservice to you to run through these so quickly. I wish we could just kind of hang on these, but I would love to talk to you more um, about these. The third is through the church. This is actually the most common way outside of God's Word through Scripture that God speaks. It might be the most common way in the book of Acts. He speaks through the church. Of course, we know Proverbs says that there's, and, and there's a wisdom in the multitude of counselors. One of my favorite passages is Acts 13. While, while they were 
with the church, basically, worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work that I have called them. God gave the church specific insight into what Saul and Barnabas were supposed to be doing. He gave it to the church as they were fasting and praying. Several times in Acts, a guy named Agabus comes up and gives Paul instructions about what he should do, another believer. Paul did the same with Timothy. There's nothing in Scripture that indicates the Holy Spirit stopped working this way. That he uses the church and people covenanted together in real relationship, loving each other well, that he would speak to them on your behalf. Now, why would the Holy Spirit do that? Because if he spoke to you directly, you wouldn't need other people. God is always trying to bring his family back together. And I love this, that he made even the spiritual gifts and speaking through the church interdependent upon each other. So friend, when's the last time you had a big decision about a new vocation to take or uh, something you're struggling with or you're on financial hard times or there's a big thing, you've got uh, problems in your marriage and the American way is show no weakness. Don't let anyone see but the scriptural way is, gather some brothers and sisters around that love you, and y'all make a decision together. And the American spirit in us is like, never. And the Holy Spirit says, it's the only way. It's the only way. This has happened all throughout my life. I've told you the story about how I kept telling God to shut up when I was reading my Bible when I was in my senior year of high school I did not want to go in the ministry and I felt like every time I opened it up I was doing some of that uh, random Bible lottery stuff and it was just working every time it was just like ministry 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 and I literally it was the I did not want to do it when I was in high school I've told you I sold uh, fake Rolexes out of the back of my trunk I had a lawn business I sold purses out of the back I sold a lot of things out of the back of my trunk uh, purses and fake pens and um if you needed it and they could be made somewhere else, uh, a fake version, I would go get it and I would resell it to you. And I just wanted money. And I remember growing up, my parents just didn't have a lot of it. Most of the houses we lived in were parsonages or single-wide trailers even sometimes. And I just, I didn't, I didn't, I shared a room with my brother, God forbid. And I just didn't, I didn't want to be poor. I didn't want to be poor. And the Lord kept telling me, Luke, it's this, this, this. And I was like, no, Lord, I'm not going to do it. And so I literally, it was a time I quit reading the Bible. But any time that I was, this is how God speaks to church. It's so crazy. Anytime I would go to church, we were at Calvary at the time. And anytime I'd go to church, there'd be like a, there'd be like a visiting uh, missionary on furlough. And he would pick me out out of about 100 teenagers. And he would find me afterwards. And I would just say thanks so that my dad would be happy. And I, I did really respect them. Those missionaries were heroes of mine. Hey, thanks for what you're doing. And he says, son, I, I think that there's a call of God on your life. And I was like, rebuke you, you know. Back to Africa for you. Back to the Philippines, wherever you're from. And then, a, you know, a deacon that I didn't even know to, I remember this. I remember this like it was yesterday. I was helping roll some cords. Uh, I was helping roll some cords after a service one day. And uh, this deacon came up to me and said, you know what? Just, God's been putting you in my heart. I, th I think there might be a call in ministry on your life. God uses the church. And you need to be open to it. It's one of the main reasons that you should be connected into a Bible-believing, truth-pursuing, text-driven church because God uses the church to guide you. 
Now, I also got to give a little caveat right here. Some people can be really off with this. And just because something says, someone says something to you and claims that they're getting it from the Spirit, that does not mean that they're actually getting it from the Spirit. That's why Scripture says that we're supposed to test or weigh out the prophecies that come to see if they line up with Scripture and, and what we see God already doing in our lives. I've had very sincere people tell me things that were very wrong. I had a crazy guy I told you one time come up and told me that Ashley would die that very day. I had a mentor tell me never to plant a church. I had many phone calls. Even since I've been here in the past 10 years, I've probably gotten 10 phone calls where the guy on a pastor church committee somewhere says, uh, Luke, well, your resume was turned in by a friend and we've been praying and we believe that you're our guy. And I would say, well, do I have to wear a suit on Sunday? Well, yeah, the pastor's right. Well, it wasn't God. They're not wearing a suit. Nope. We'll just stop you. We'll stop you right there. Um, the Bible tells us to test the prophecies. Do they line up with scripture? Do they resonate with what we see God doing in our life? But just because they've been used wrongly in the past, and it just drives me crazy when it's used wrongly. Friends, be very careful to walk up to someone and say, God has told me to tell you, you better make sure it's God. Just because they've been used wrongly in the past doesn't mean that we should dismiss it altogether. For 2,000 years, Christians have believed that God uses the church to reveal his will to his kids. So listen closely and then test what's been said. Then in our spirit, we got two left. Hang with me. In our spirit, this is the one that that might be the most nebulous. In Nehemiah 2.12, Nehemiah, the Old Testament guy, you remember Nehemiah who God used to rebuild uh, the wall of Jerusalem after exile. It says in verse 12, chapter 2, I had told no one what God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. This is in our spirit. Sometimes God just put things in your heart. And here's what's so significant about that. Nowhere in Nehemiah is there any verbal command from God recorded. No handwriting on the wall, no donkey talking to him, no birds bringing messages, no mysterious appearance of Elijah in the night. Just God put it in my heart. It's clear that God sometimes just puts things into people's hearts. This burning ambition, this dream, this holy discontent that serves as guidance for something that he wants them to do. Paul talks about this in Acts 17, about his spirit being provoked within him in verse 16 of chapter 17. And that the spirit's guidance was to stay and preach in Athens. Oftentimes the spirit just really helps you narrow your focus down. This is how I knew that I was supposed to plant the church. I just knew God had spoken. He just put it in my heart. I was at a conference in seminary trying to get credits for a missiology class and there was an opportunity I could go to this little two or three day conference and I could just have those the whole class I was like well yeah sign me up I can listen I can listen to those guys teach and preach and um, I went and while I was there the spirit just lodged it so deeply in my heart I was wrestling with it and I left and I was with some buddies who were also trying to get the same credit I was like hey was it that guy's sermon do y'all want to go plant a church now and they're like no way we would never do that and I was like, Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? And I just was wrestling. He just lodged it in my heart, and it would not leave. And I went home and told Ashley, hey, babe, what do you think about planting a church one day? And she was like, never. We're never doing that. 
And then as God would continue to work, finally she was on board. She's like, okay, I could see it. And I was like, okay, well, what, how about where you want to go? She's like, anywhere but Shreveport Bossier, anywhere. We'll go anywhere. I was like, you like, 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 to, like Australia or like, anywhere? It's so funny how we tell God what we won't do. And God's like, oh, okay, we'll see. And this is exactly where, where we ended up. Paul talks about this, this thing being lodged in his heart to stay and preach at Athens. Oftentimes the Spirit just helps us focus in on this to some specific thing. What in your heart do you have this holy discontent for? Is it an unreached people group with no access to the gospel? Is it a group that's near us that is suffering, an immigrant, a homeless, a minority, the addicted, the mentally ill, the sick, the grieving, the unemployed, the incarcerated, the widowed, the elderly, the overly religious, we could keep going. Is there something that when you just hear even those words or you see them on the street or you encounter them in some way or you read a news article, your heart is just like just bleeding for them. There's this holy discontent, this stirring, this passion in your heart. Sometimes God will use those to lead us actually into a career field like serving the homeless or international students. Maybe people who have little Christian witness and that's where he wants us to go. The Spirit helps us focus. I met a guy a couple, uh, a couple years ago going through one of our discovery centers for church planters who had a burning passion for professional wrestlers. Like literally, who has a passion for that? I've never one time seen Hulk Hogan or Andre the Giant or, 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 or any of them. Buff Bagwell, never seen any of them and thought, you know what those people need? I probably thought they need Jesus, but I was definitely not going to take it to them. This guy just had a burden in his heart, and there was, you know, just like the major and minor leagues, they have like minor league wrestling that nobody watches, and, then, you know, and so he just had a heart for them, and he showed up, and God just increased his heart, and so he became a chaplain for this like really, you know, you know 2A minor, minor league kind of thing in the, in the wrestling world, which is just, you know, some high school dudes getting out some aggression is basically what it is in their little Speedos, and so he's like... He's like starting to pour into them and he's seeing God do some work and he's getting favor and then he like moves up to the next level. Some of these wrestlers get up and oh, we, we got to bring my buddy Ryan with us. He's, gotta, he's our chaplain. He prays with us and heals our broken backs or whatever he does. And they bring Ryan on and then even to the, the, the highest level, he's, he's telling me stories about how he's like holding hands before they go out and they put all their makeup on. And he's praying with these guys and he's able to lead them to Christ. Who, who does that? Somebody who the Spirit of God puts a burden in your heart for people who are not being reached. That's who does it. God puts this burden. He wrecks our heart for things. Maybe the thousands of children that are orphaned in foster care, the millions that are sacrificed in our country in the name of choice. Those are usually God's Spirit in your spirits provoking you. Now, again, you can get this wrong. That's why I said we got to hold this slightly. we got to talk about it with other people who are following Jesus. Lots of people get this wrong. Paul got this wrong in Acts. Why, why he says, you know, I was, I, was, I was set on going back until the Spirit of God would not let me get there. God simply didn't give us an outline for us in Scripture of a definitive way to know absolutely with certainty that he's moving in our spirits about something. And you can get yourself in a lot of trouble if you don't pursue this one humbly with the guardrails of Scripture on one side and Christian community on the other. Always test these impulses against Scripture. Let me throw in word, word, one just real word of caution. I've seen too many people say they've heard from God 
and mistake their own selfish ambition for the leadership of the Spirit. For example, if you're in here and God's calling you to give your life to foreign missions and you're going to go live in hard places and you bring that up to your parents, they're going to say, no, the Spirit's not saying that. They're going to speak out of their own selfish ambition because they want you to be close. Or they're going to give you common sense. Like some of our friends that are serving in Southeast Asia that have medical degrees and would be millionaires if they've lived here. And yet they're living thousands of miles away in utter obscurity. Don't you think that some people gave them some bad advice along the way when they said, you know what, I'm going to go to medical school, I'm going to get all these degrees, and then I'm going to go and serve the people that it takes 18 days even to get to. Some people out of selfish ambition would speak on behalf of God and tell you not to do something, especially if it involves hardship. But clearly those people aren't walking with Jesus. But if you have spirit-filled, faithful believers who say to you in the same thing. We had a guy one time that called Jason and I. He wanted to go meet. And I've told you this before. He said, you know, I really feel called to go to the mission field. We said, man, that's amazing. He said, my wife's not on board. I was like, all right, let's start praying that your wife will get on board. And we met the next week, literally, with the next week at a Mexican restaurant. And he said, listen, my wife's still not on board after a week, so I think I should divorce her. And he was serious. I was like, no, 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 no. You have violated how the word of God talks. He speaks through scripture first. Anything the spirit of God is going to lead you to do is not going to be contrary with what the scripture says. Here's the last way. Let's finish this up. The spirit leads to our circumstances. Again, in Acts 16, Paul was doing what he thought God wanted him to do, where God wanted him to go, when God shut the door in his face. And every honest Christian I know admits that there are times when God does exactly the opposite of what you expected him to do. You're doing one thing, you think God wants you to do it, when a door unexpectedly closes in your face. The job goes to someone else. The the girl you propose to says no. Maybe you should gather a little bit more information before you make that formal ask. The home loan falls through, the health declines, the visa is not renewed. Because God often leaves, leads us in his sovereign, uh, sovereign control through our circumstances. We see that again in the book of Acts in verse 8 and 9 of chapters um, of Acts 16. Paul would explain that in 1 Corinthians 16, 8 through 9. He says in verse 8, but I will stay in Ephesus until Pentecost for a wide door for effective work has open to me and there are many adversaries see what he says there a wide door for effective work no spirit voice again no appearance of Elijah no dove floating around just an open door now again this is something you hold loosely and balance with the other four because a closed door doesn't automatically mean it's not the Lord's will he says that again and there are many adversaries everywhere Paul went I love this everywhere Paul went I mean he was beat up and pushed out. Remember that time that they, they, they stoned him and drug him outside of the city, left for dead, or maybe even was dead, some people think, and the brothers gathered around him, and he's a backup. And what does he want to do? He's like, we are not going back in there. Those terrible people just go to hell. And that's not what he says. He's like, let's go. These people need the gospel. What an incredible thing the Spirit was doing in the life of Paul. Difficulty doesn't always mean that God isn't in something. My dad used to tell me all the time, um, that sometimes it just means the timing's not right. 
He tells a story when he met my mom, at a, she's a waitress in a catfish restaurant, and he told his friend, I don't know if he said the Lord said it, but he said, I'm going to marry that woman. And so he asked for her number, and she said, no. And I think as the story goes, she said, no, several times. And some of that's your story. You had to really pursue. But a closed door doesn't, doesn't always mean God's not in it. It might just mean it's not the right time. Let me summarize all these things we talked about with a few points that I, I ended the service with two weeks ago. You know who tends to hear the Spirit of God the most loudly? Those who are faithfully in God's Word, who are rooted in a good truth teaching church. Thirdly, people who have margin in their lives. Most of us, this is where we fail. We, do ha- we have no margin. If the Lord spoke to us in his still small voice, as he often does, we wouldn't hear it. Because we're just go, 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 go. We've got every second of every day, of every hour, of every weekend. Our calendar is bleeding because we've got so much. We have, what, 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 what's the time on there in your calendar? I know we're busy. We're all busy. Where you have stopped and slowed down and built margin into your thing where you could hear the word of God. Where God could send you somewhere. Where God could tap you on the shoulder and say, I need you to go do this. I need you to go serve here. I need you to give. Do we have, do we have margin in our, in our time? Do we have margin in our finances where God could provoke your heart to give to someone who is desperately needing and crying out, God, if you're there, if you love me, would you meet this need? And God provokes another believer's heart and says, you know, he wants to use us to meet this need. All glory goes to God. But we have no margin in our finances to take that step. People who are faithfully in the word, who are rooted in a Bible-believing church, who have margin in their lives. And then fourthly, these are the people who I tend to see hear the Spirit of God most loudly. People who live a life yielded to the will of God. A lot of us have already made up in our own heart that we're not going to do what God asks us to do. We've got a little list of things. And if you ask me to do one, two, or three, God, I'm in. But if you ask me to do the rest of it, there is no way. And we miss out on the blessing of God because we've already determined in our heart that we are not going to follow him except in the areas that we want to give him. There's two warnings. We talked about this a couple weeks ago in the word of God about the spirit of God. The one is don't grieve the spirit. This is what Paul talks about in Ephesians 4.30. To grieve the Spirit is to live a life contrary to the way that he revealed and called us to live. To grieve the Spirit is what Jonah did. God says, Jonah, I want you to go. He says, no way, God, I'm not going. And he just happened to find an open door to Tarsus. And he's on that ship, and God in his grace chases Jonah down. That's grieving the Holy Spirit. Some of us have decided in our own heart. Now, Paul goes on in that list Another reason we probably don't hear the, the, the voice of God is we've got sin in our life. Now, friends, I love you, and if you're visiting, I'm, I'm so glad you're here. This might be a family talk here. Friends, if you've got unconfessed sin in your life, you're never going to hear from God. Romans says when we've got sin in our life, our understanding becomes as darkness. Our, even, our own hearts become callous to the voice of God to where we cannot even hear it. We have grieved the Spirit of God. And some of us keep calling it a stronghold. Friends, if you've dealt with this specific sin for more than a year, it's, it's I mean, a, a struggle. If you've dealt with it for more than a year, it's not a struggle, it's a stronghold. 
And we need to do real business with God. You need to bring that into the light. You need to maybe get some real counseling. You got to re- re- rearrange some bad soundtracks that you're listening to, and you got to put up good guardrails of your own life. When is the last time that you really repented? I mean really repented, just the heaviness of your sin sat before you and weighed on your heart. When you had no strategy to overcome it, when you had no more excuses, that you were caught right where you were. And it's by God's grace that he has you there so that you can expose it, you can bring the cancer to light, that you can get the decaying stuff out. Many of us don't hear the voice of God because we've got hidden sin and we have refused to bring it to the altar of God. And it grieves the spirit. And then in 1 Thessalonians 5, it says, do not quench the spirit. This is to defeat his intended effect, to drown out his voice. This is what I was doing when God was calling me into ministry. This is what some of you are still doing as God's called you into ministry. You remember the call a year ago or two years or 10 years or 20 years or 40 years ago. You remember very clearly that God called you into something more. He wanted you to take in a, a step in the ministry as bivocational or a, to leadership in a church. And you said no and you pursued your own way and yet the spirit is still whispering. You can hear it if you think about it. If you close out all the voice in your head, you can still hear him calling you. But you don't want to hear it, so you just turn up the radio. You just get more busy. You do not want to give that thing to the Lord. And in his patience and long-suffering and his grace, he keeps whispering, Luke, Luke, that's mine too. Luke, I need you to bring that to me. Where in your life are you drowning out the voice of God to pursue what you want over what he wants? Friends, let me tell you, if to follow him is the best thing that you've ever done, to be right in the middle of his will, be the most joy and abundant life that you've ever experienced. We're going to take communion in a minute. But before, I just want you to do business with God. This has nothing to do with me or nothing to do with anybody even sitting next to you. I want you to do business with God. What is God doing in your heart this morning? Phil, you can go and come up. Phil's going to play in the background just to kind of eliminate some distraction. Friends, listen to me. What is God doing in your heart? Even as we talked about it, what sin needs to be confessed? What needs to be brought into the light? Scripture says you come to the altar to bring your gift and you realize that that, that there's an offense between you and someone else. Don't even bring the gift. Leave the gift there. Go find the person. For some of you, that means going out in the hallway and calling somebody. Just to apologize that you did something wrong, you said something wrong. Or you know they've got something against you and you're trying to get that right. There's, there's, there's a wedge of bitterness that the enemy is using to take from a, a, a toehold to a stronghold to a chokehold because he just wants to de- deceive and destroy you. And it's a root of bitterness. And you need to deal with it today. Would you pray there silently as I pray over us? And we'll give you some time and then I'll lead us through communion in a minute. Would you just ask the Lord, as David did, search my heart. God, search my heart. If there's anything inside of me, any impurity, any wickedness, would you, would you bring that to the surface? Would you imprint that upon my mind, even right now, so that I could, in turn, repent of that and take that and lay it down at 
as an offering to you. Lord, you know I want to do this, but I'm not going to do this. I'm going to lay this as an offering to you. Holy Spirit, would you amplify the voice of God to us this morning? Lord, religious games, we're we're done with religious games. We're done just walking through the motions of the standing and sitting and shaking hands and singing the songs we don't mean. Lord, let us be done with that. We are desperate, Holy Spirit, for you to move, for you to bring trap bones to life. But there are thousands of families counting on us to get this right, not to be another church that's just doing religious stuff. do a deep work in us. Remake us into the image of your son. Bring these dry bones back to life where we care most about what you care about. some of our prayer team to stand in the back Jeff and Jason Jamie others that are on our prayer team that want to pray with people and if you want somebody just to pray with you that's why they're here they're in the back for this purpose maybe it's not even for you maybe you're crying out for your lost son or daughter you're praying for wisdom you're praying for an open door of salvation for a co-worker These men and women would love to pray with you. Sometimes just declaring it out loud, what God is speaking on the inside, just helps us take a step of faith. I'd be happy to pray with you as well. Whatever God is placing on your heart, friends, do not leave today without dealing with that. Maybe we don't do this very often. Maybe we can just make this little stage an altar. And maybe you just need to come get on your knees before God and you just need to cry out to him and ask him for passion once again or or purpose. Maybe you need to come as a family, a husband and wife, and you just need to cry out for your kids. You do what God leads you to do. I'll lead us in communion in a minute.